0: And welcome to episode 6 of the Sandy Sisters podcast. I'm Amber. And I'm Tista. Well, Tista, I can't believe this is episode 6 of sidestepping COVID, keeping research on track. Time's really flying in and this will be our final episode before Christmas. But fear not, we'll be back with plenty more in the new year. Tista, just thinking back on 2020, it's been an unexpected year for all of us. And I've just wondered, trying to keep it
1: positive, what have been your highlights from 2020? gosh um what a year it has been um i mean having a global pandemic announced on my 30th birthday is oh. a, definitely <laughs> something i'll never forget but it's been an opportunity and given me the scope to work on some really fantastic new projects from joining the Glow conference steering committee to working within the evidence knowledge portfolio at pmnch to conducting emergency obstetric training virtually in Kenya with LSTM, and collaborating with the SRH group at ITM Antwerp on postnatal care pieces, so it has been busy. But of course, not to forget, starting our very own Sunny Sisters podcast with you, Amber, which has been so much fun.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you've definitely been very busy, and actually having a podcast out and people listening to the pair of us. And forming new connections with people, not just in the UK, but actually across the world, has just been a total pleasure. On a personal level, I've passed my part two exam this year, which has been really exciting. And fingers crossed, we'll finally, finally get to sit my part three, third time lucky. Cheers to COVID. (laughs) Um, I also did my first preach this year at my church, which was nerve wracking, but also a really cool experience. And finally, the icing on the cake for me has had to be one of my best friends. had her first daughter this year, Penny, who has just been such a great addition to our friendship circle. So despite a lockdown, I definitely have so much to be thankful
1: for. You're so right, Amber. And there is just so much to be grateful for, isn't there? Last week, I had the pleasure of talking to Alice Beardmore-Grey, discussing all things study recruitment. And by the looks of things, we weren't the only people who loved what Alice had to say. Munraj was intrigued to know what the direct and indirect impact of the COVID collateral damage was in Zambia. Beth in London was wondering how the strategies to aid recruitment differed by the teams in both India and Zambia. And Alice was on hand to share the importance of face-to-face interaction with her team and how helpful WhatsApp was in the interim for quick communication.
0: It's so great knowing that so many of you are on this journey with us and we just want to give a special mention to Florence from the OBS Pods, Liverpool Women's Hospital and the Liverpool Uni's Institute for Population Health for their support this week on social media. We really love making new connections and a big shout out to Jamila in Birmingham We had Victoria in London and Emma in Belfast who've been in touch this week. Alice responded to questions about the balance of being a trial manager and a PhD student and the importance of dedicating time in her week to each task has been crucial in juggling both. I know that in the future I'll be coming to people like Alice and I'm sure yourself Tista to pick her brains and glean more of her wisdom.
1: (laughs) And if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to our episode with Alice, please do catch up. It's really full of so many useful tips and fascinating insights. This week, Amber's been chatting with Ashish KC about sharing knowledge during the COVID pandemic. So let's have a listen to what Ashish has to say.
0: Hello, I am delighted to introduce this week's guest with us, Dr. Ashish Casey. Ashish is a perinatal epidemiologist with a doctoral degree in neonatology and works at Uppsala University in Sweden. He's been a technical advisor to UNICEF and Save the Children for about 15 years, and he's also been lead for many in-country RCTs in Nepal and principal investigator on a multi-country study looking at improving maternal and newborn health. His research portfolio is extensive, having 81 publications, and has recently had papers published in The Lancet Global Health. If anyone is qualified to tell us about dissemination of research findings, it's Ashish. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me, Amber. So... As we start out, I guess it would be really helpful if you could share your thoughts with us about the most effective way to disseminate knowledge and how have you found people engaging most with you?
2: Yeah, um, for me and um, for the work that we have done in Nepal and um, and also in multi-country work, the most effective way of disseminating knowledge has been through webinars um, or web platforms on interacting with people um also also in a way having uh, workshops and dissemination meeting but by and large uh, to getting a large network of people in terms of um, where they stay and where they live um social media has, has played a very vital role especially uh, twitter and facebook uh, because it it gives uh, Gets a lot of attention and a lot of um, mm-hmm. uh, networking to different people. So, social media by and large has been very helpful. My other effective way, especially because um, I come from a very rural settings of Nepal. And what I have learned is that um, in the rural settings, um, the disseminating information and knowledge through uh, the community health workers um, and community leaders, um, especially on, on the work that you do is more effective because that uh, that really taken up by the community community as well as uh, women's and families uh, so my 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 thing is that uh, the way of dissemination disseminating, uh, disseminating uh, different things by uh, different platform might be different uh, my for rural settings it might be a, a community health worker or a, or, a, or a midwife while in the or in the urban or a rural or urban setting it's like uh, the webinars web meetings and uh, seminars yeah
0: Brilliant. I think that's really interesting what you're saying. I think um, maybe this is just me but when I think about dissemination I almost think of sharing of results and findings with other academics and within the research community but also there is so much need isn't there to um, disseminate your findings and information to the population and yeah thinking about how you do that in a low resource setting best and I think that's a really uh, valid point isn't it about community health leaders midwives who can really be champions on behalf of the work that you're doing to share those results and often those people are valued members of the society they're looked up to they're trusted which i think is really key yes
2: um and i think um because uh, these are the ones who are, who are the most vulnerable ones especially the those from the rural settings um, who don't have technology are the ones vulnerable to a lot of um uh, disruption in the in the health systems uh, especially when we have uh, a pandemic or epidemic or some humanitarian crisis so giving them information uh, knowledge um, on what can work best in their settings uh, when things are disrupted or at least uh, things go wrong then it um, it's very uh, it's very effective as well as um, um, and it's much needed um, much needed for them
0: and i think um as you say in those rural settings and thinking about global maternal and newborn health, that that is what we're doing this for, isn't it? It's for those women. And often technology is not available to them. And I think in the world we live in, and especially during this COVID pandemic, everything has moved online. Technology has really moved forward. And yet actually we just need to remember that for this population, we actually need to scale things right back and we don't want them to be neglected or left out as they're very much entitled and need to know that information so I think that's a really fascinating point I hadn't really thought about that before. Have you discovered any new platforms to share research during COVID or have you always used webinars or is that something new to you?
2: Um, yes um, before COVID-19 um, or at least before the pandemic uh, w- I had done webinars but my most of my work at um, the dissemination of my work has been via. Face-to-face meetings by um, coming uh, to workshops and going to workshops or organizing workshops and telling your your work. Uh, but during uh, this COVID-19 pandemic and when it started, I think uh, things have changed in terms of the space on how we disseminate things. Because we, um, because at one end we want to make people safe uh, at this, uh, not having the virus being contracted, but at the other end also making sure that um, it reaches a lot wider group of audience and webinar has been um, the work uh, where where i have a lot of things but i think um, right now i think um, there are other things which uh, which has been uh, also been used much more is like social medias twitters because yeah. people are all, almost all of them are at least a, a larger proportion of people are are at home um, and uh, they are using technology in place um, at least for those who, who can access those technologies and they are using uh, these social media platform every now and then um, so i think uh, the space has changed and um, I think these platforms has been helpful. Uh, recently, what I've also discovered is the video blog systems. So um, I have I used to do only blogs, um, but I think the video blog system uh, also seems to be very interesting. Um, I haven't used yet, but um, but and I, I'm thinking of doing the video blogs, um, um, and I think it might be very helpful basically to tell a story especially on field on site and uh, doing a, a recording on how things work and then telling the, telling the people um, what has happened.
0: Yeah I think there's something powerful in using story isn't there? People remember stories, people love telling stories, hearing stories so I think there's definitely value in that and I feel like there is a real connection isn't there with a video of you know, seeing you or seeing where you've been working and it's it sort of feels very tangible and relatable. And I guess the other thing with a video is once it's done, it's done. So people can refer back to that and look at it again and, and sort of share it. But that said, I mean, it's probably quite a bit of work to create it, but definitely a good medium to think about sharing some salient points. And with the Twitter, I mean, we've been using that for Sanyu Sisters and it's been a fantastic source of sort of connecting in with people that possibly we wouldn't have met otherwise. And I think its advantage, isn't it, is that you can jump on Twitter for five or 10 minutes, have a brief look, retweet stuff, see other bits and pieces and then go about your day. And you could be on it multiple times a day, just connecting in and out. I guess that's probably one advantage for people who are busy over a webinar where you have to dedicate actual time to something, isn't it? So there's definitely pluses and minuses to all of these things. Yeah, yes, I agree uh, I agree
2: to that uh, point that uh, social media such as Twitter, is much easier to uh, get access to. You don't really dedica- need to dedicate your whole time or at least a full time or, or some dedicated time to, to really use it. But at the same time, also that uh, when you have video blogs, it basically gives you a whole chunk of the story. So if you want to tell a whole story in a, yeah. um, in, uh, in a space, or in, um, and it's much easier uh, to use. I have done a uh, few of them, at least um, a couple of them um, doing a video blog uh, thing previously um i didn't uh, really uh had had imagine imagine that it would work well so, but now in this scenario i am um, now i think that it's more it, it needs uh, it needs to be done more because um because the webinar might webinar might be like very interesting to uh, go in but it takes a time because you need to register yourself then you need to have a certain process but video blocks actually i think you can just go and you can put it in so many platforms that we have so
0: real? And certainly my personal experience, I don't know if you would agree, when I am on Facebook or Twitter and there are so many webinars now and there are so many discussion groups and Facebook pages and different virtual things happening, do you think overall that's really helpful or do you think that perhaps we're actually now oversaturating and almost struggling to sift out what is valuable and what's not? Because I feel like anyone can now put... uh. Put something together and and advertise it lots and yeah I just feel like sometimes I look on social media and I'm like oh there's so many adverts for so many things you could spend your entire days couldn't you what what your thoughts are regarding that
2: yeah I think so it's finding a right balance uh, so um, as I was talking to my colleagues here so um, on this use of technology um, technology uh, in this COVID nineteen era and and uh, what they tell is that this is a right time so we are we are we might think we are oversaturated but uh, it's, uh that's not a fact uh so um, and, I, and I, he just gives an analogy that the, the level of knowledge uh, he has gained in the last nine months in terms of yeah. his using this platform um was was uh was has been more than what he had done previously because previously he him, uh, if he had to get some knowledge then he had to go to some class or take some some courses and all and then and then it would take time so it, there is some uh, administrative hurdle to that but now when you have a lot of things that you can really choose it so it's basically finding the right balance on choosing Mm -hmm. uh, what to do and where to go because you don't really need to move around um, because you just need to um, just um, explore it, access it, uh, Google it, um, and try to find um, where in. So uh, it's only like, uh, so I think it's the right balance. Um, and I think um, this um, this time is a, is the a right time um, to use these platforms. And I think it's basically, uh, it's not, um, it's, it's the whole issue right now comes in that um, how we use it more effectively uh, in, in this right time uh, for, for ourselves and also for
0: the benefit for the society. And. With regards to our colleagues in low middle income countries, I don't know if you've had experience of this, but do you feel that they're able to utilize this technology, really practical things, even like the times that the um, webinars or conferences might be at? I mean, when we're trying to then reach a global audience, isn't it? It's never going to be satisfying everybody for what time of the day it is and things. Do you feel that people in lower middle income countries are able to utilize this technology to its maximum?
2: Yes, uh, at least to a, to a better extent uh, right now. But um, I think uh, for them, uh, for them having webinars, and I was just uh, discussing to one of my one of my students back in Nepal, and she was mentioning that so we used to organize conferences in Kathmandu. So what we would do is I would, I would travel and then we would organize a conference and then for that we need to have a lot of cost and being, resource being dedicated to that to that work. It's not only in terms of money, but also in terms of investing your own time um, uh, to travel, organize things. Uh, but now we have these platforms where, where basically you don't really need to travel. So you save cost, a lot of cost, at the t- time and money. And at the same time, you disseminate information to a larger audience. Um, and what she says is that uh, because most of the students are right now at home or at least just working from home, so it's much easier even for them to participate. So previously, uh, if the participation had been only 60% of the of the target audience, now it's just increased to 120%. And and I think that's amazing because um, because you don't need to invest on so many things, but you get to the people, um, on the aspect of getting a lot of people at one time. But at the same time, what she also means is that uh, especially for students, uh, because uh, the internet the internet service provider um, charges some cost, especially when when using your um, data. Uses via
1: mm-hmm. by mobile
2: technology and all it might be a kind of an, a kind of restriction at some point in, at some point in time because you are investing a lot of money in internet services or technology. So so that's also one demerit of, of using technology. Um, in this time, uh, time of for the, for technology use.
0: I think yeah, you're absolutely right. When people are working from home, in some respects, it's almost like a, there isn't an excuse not to join in, and especially if things are recorded as well, that actually we can check in with them later on. But I think what you the point you raised about good connectivity and actually money, you know, like there's questions there. If this is what things are going to look like, are research institutes going to really try and facilitate supporting students, whether that be financially, make sure that they are. You know, not losing out financially, just to make sure they've got good Wi-Fi. And um, in one of our previous episodes with Professor Andrew Weeks, we were discussing about supervision, but supervising sort of internationally and good connectivity and good Wi-Fi, you know, was sort of one of his salient points to really facilitate relationship. And thinking about dissemination, it is much the same because there's nothing more frustrating, is there, than poor internet connection? And kind of so demoralizing, you're like, oh, I just give up. <laughs> so I think that's really, really important. Yes, And I think um,
2: I think because um, because I, I think we are in the right time of this history, at least where where pandemic has taken place. So if suppose we were in the pre-internet era, things would have been very devastating for us, especially those who are students or those who are learning or who are trying to do a lot of research. Um, but now I think um, I would say I shouldn't say that this is happening right time, but at least we have a better technology in place on at least uh, for high income settings uh, for this one. But I think even in uh, but in low income settings, I think there's more investment um, uh, required in terms of infrastructure for internet service providers or at least getting those uh, services and at the same time, at least um, uh, having some of some uh, staffing for. For using those internet services uh, yeah. because um, unlike like we have staffing for, for, for travel we don't need to do staffing for travel right now because we need the staffing for inter- internet use yeah so my guess is i think that those are the new new areas where investment might be required or resource allocation might be required
0: and with regards to another way of uh, sharing information obviously i mentioned at the start that recently you've been published in the lancet and you've shared some other work that you've been doing. Have you found that journals are hungry for information regarding COVID? Have they been extremely stringent on sort of accepting papers and stuff? Or how have you found that process of sharing information?
2: Yes, um, uh, I think this disease that we are talking about is uh, have come up to the surface in just eleven months' time point, mm-hmm. at least in the global global audience. I think um, even for the journals and um, academic journals and all they they really need to they're trying to struggle and find out what's new and some everything that you publish right now on some um, seems to be new because it's a new disease and so it's like a start point of any new disease for example think about like 1980s when hiv was just been like known for people so there's a lot of journals who then uh, crave in to find this uh, about this disease not only in terms of this um, uh, biological aspect but also the social aspect it's same it's same out here so i, I think um, um i think uh, we published in lancet um and i, th- I think that's a good thing but um, but i think the whole uh, whole idea is that um, there's a lot of things which we still do not know of this disease mm-hmm. um the role, uh, the collateral damage I'll just give you an example. So we, our study showed that it was reduction in the uh, institutional board by fifty percent. We don't know the cause, so we don't know the factors. So th- there's still a lot to be lot to be done, and I think the are trying to crave in to identify these factors because these are the fun, these are the new information that will, that would provide input to the policymakers um mm-hmm. as well as program managers to how things because we don't know when uh when this disease is going to get over because um we really don't it's going to be with us for some time more so yeah um and i think um what are the new things that um uh, that journals are looking for and um i would say being more stringent. i think they are they are they are trying to be more careful on getting uh, getting those uh Information on COVID, um, but at the same time trying to get, uh, trying to provide a very powerful message out that this this is, is really affecting all of us, not only in terms of the not only in terms of biological factor, but also social and also in terms of you know, our our daily lives. So, and I think that's a, that's a good thing because um, responsible journal uh, is the one who gives real time information uh, yeah. not only to the public but also to post policymakers as well as to the academicians.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as you say, when there's such an influx of new information coming and they're probably getting inundated with stuff that remaining up to date, remaining high quality um, and high impact stuff that they're releasing, um, I guess it's trying to sift through everything to really pick out the the work that's really, really crucial and underpins and answers really important research questions that are relevant to the time. And I guess as maternal and newborn health specialists, isn't it? It's so good to see work being done around that cohort and what that means for largely vulnerable people isn't it in that time of their lives so it's exciting to see more and more stuff coming out and I'm sure there'll be plenty more in the future work that's taking place in maternal and newborn health regarding COVID-19. Do you think thinking about post-COVID or if we can dream about that scenario what do you think Dissemination will look like. Do you think we'll ever go back to face to face conferences? Yeah, what's your thoughts around that?
2: Yeah, um, I think um, in the post COVID scenario, I think uh, things would change from that of pre COVID scenario. So, my guess is that I, the face to face meeting would uh, reduce by almost half because people have now um, at least uh, taken a better look and better understanding that you don't really need to meet face to face to have some good discussion and dialogue yes you can you you might need to meet face-to-face for administrative work so um, so you might go to the to uh, to, um, to your university once a week or twice a week just for administrative purpose but for even for being, uh, working and doing to um, for meetings with people you don't need to have face-to-face meetings so i think my guess is that uh, the, the travel and face-to-face meeting would reduce by half and that has an implication in a lot of aspects in terms of dissemination so mm-hmm. i think our dissemination may start so as i mentioned so i never thought that video blog would be something interesting and important
0: mm-hmm. to
2: be a platform for for our research because um, and it was just a means just to get entertained or at least understand but now i think uh, that's coming up and i think uh, that's uh, and it's a new old uh, new old uh, intervention um, I would say in this COVID, COVID and post-COVID scenario. So my guess, uh, the dissemination strategy and how people would um, would take in would be different uh, in the post-COVID scenario, uh, especially even in the rural settings. Um, what we are ri- right now uh, getting is that people are now using a lot of radios because they mm-hmm. don't have access. For, if, if you go to a far off mountain, then you might have good access to internet service. So the other medium that they're using right now is uh, using a lot of radios or a l- lot of these- um,
0: Fantastic.
2: Platforms where they can yeah, so uh, I was talking to one of my one of my relative who lives in a far off place, and then he he says that he's using a lot of radios, and uh, and his his children are using a lot of radios for for learning for learning.
0: Brilliant! It's so interesting to hear those points of view and things that we might not even think of, um, how they're being utilized to to share knowledge. Do you find, and I I would agree with what you said there that I do think face to face meetings probably will reduce, isn't it? And we think about travel. The cost of that, the time of that, that it takes and it is fun to travel. I think that that um, it's, it's great to spend time in other places, but it does have costs attached to that. And also we think about carbon footprint with international air travel. We think about time away from family or from work as well to do that. So I think there's definitely so many advantages remaining online. But do you think from a collaboration point of view and building new relationship that there will be that will be detracted from not spending time face to face. Obviously, that's a bit more difficult to do online. So I wonder what your thoughts are with forming those new relationships. Do you think that will be more of a challenge or something we'll be able to achieve?
2: Yes, and, uh, no, I think for the start off, um, this for starting up new uh, new discussion and dialogue with new colleagues, I think uh, those face to face meeting would always be um, and um, it's always being um, effective for for a lot many people and for for a number of years. Uh, but i think things are changing um, and i think we might find an alternate strategy on how to get, get more people engaged uh to us mm-hmm. this is just an example amber so we never met uh face to face but yet we are we are we are having this time so, so well so the whole idea is that i think the strategies and are shifting and the means are shifting based on the context and I agree that um, for a face-to-face meeting might be very helpful in the informal setting, but I think uh, it might not be the only means in the new in normal situation.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good example, actually, as well. So for those listening, I mean, Tista and I had heard about Ashish and read about the work he'd done and, and reached out to him uh, purely via email is our conversation. And even as we're recording this, this is not video linked at all. So yeah, we've never, we've never seen each other face-to-face and yet there's a rapport there. So I think that is a really... Um, very close to home but very adequate um reflection really of that point and just one final question then if you had one positive lesson learnt regarding dissemination in covid-19 that you'll take forward in your work what would it be this is um uh,
2: just a learning from from myself in the few, last mm-hmm. few weeks that um, um... I never used to write in the newspaper columns, uh, um, so or the online platform columns, um, at least in the local newspaper or national newspaper. Um, and but now of you know, this COVID scenario. The people are, are using a lot of online the news portals to read news, or uh, to the same, uh, at least to get new information. And uh, I I had never thought of that. So uh, at least uh, trying to um, write an an op-ed or a kind of an article in the uh, local news has never been my my forte or my work. But now um, what I, what I think is that that's a new a very new area but especially for, for researchers like us who want to disseminate information that's that's is that is going to be more critical and important for all of some kind of an um, opinion article is is going to be a very uh positive lesson or important lessons for all of us to disseminate in this COVID-19
0: and, and in
2: post-COVID-19 scenario
0: brilliant so not only a researcher but a journalist as well <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's been so many points raised there. It's been really fascinating. And just it's really opened my mind to think about how we distribute and disseminate information. So you talked about using the radio, using webinars, Facebook and Twitter local newspaper columns community health workers so and i'm sure there's some of our listeners who've got plenty more ideas that they've utilized as well listen ashish it's been a total pleasure to speak with you and just to hear some stories and your wisdom and we wish you all the best with your work as you carry on in the pandemic thank you thank you amber thank you so much sir. and thank
2: you um, for inviting me to speak um, and then this, uh, and also being the podcast thank you very much
0: So why don't you tell us what really stood out to you from Ashish?
1: Ashish seems so full of energy and ideas and you can really tell how enthusiastic and passionate he is about global maternal and newborn health. And um, what struck me was the point he made about sharing knowledge, that it shouldn't just be to other academics but actually that knowledge has to reach communities too. Ashish mentioned using community health workers particularly in rural settings to do this, and I think he's absolutely right. Community health workers play such a unique and important role in reaching marginalized and vulnerable communities and connecting them with health information and services. And I really believe if we're truly going to achieve universal healthcare for all, then engaging, connecting, and cooperating with communities has to be at the heart of our efforts. It's really clear how responsive and reactive Ashish was to the pandemic in trying to move away from using workshops to utilising other engagement strategies, such as webinars and social media. And I really hope he does make a vlog, as I think that would be absolutely <laughs> fantastic. And I'd love to hear what his reflections are on its utility. What about you, Amber? What did you take away from your conversation with Ishish?
0: Yeah, I just really echo everything you've said there. I really, really love chatting with him and just felt that he had so much current experience in speaking about sharing knowledge I love that he mentioned as you said about utilizing a variety of platforms to ensure that dissemination and in my ignorance perhaps some modes of communication that I wouldn't necessarily be thinking of but he mentioned things about newspaper columns and that was something that he was really delving into and also the radio and thinking, especially in rural Nepal, a very mountainous area, a very remote area, it may be the only way to ensure up-to-date communication. I think always being innovative and addressing the population that in a way that is relatable to them is so, so, so crucial. And in addition to this, I love that Ashish, he's just recently published in the Lancet Global Health Journal, which just showcases his versatility in reaching a wide wide range of audiences.
1: Absolutely and I think it is really really important that we continue to carry out this vital research throughout the pandemic but equally as you and Ashish mentioned it's really important that we take stock and make sure that this information is not just shared with the academic community but other stakeholders and most importantly the participants too. So if you've been listening Perhaps you've got some thoughts or comments about something that's been discussed this week. Why not let us know on our Twitter, at Sanyu Sisters, or Instagram, at Sanyu Sisters Podcast.
0: Like many of you, we'll be taking a break over the Christmas period to enjoy some time with friends and family. However, we will be back on the 6th of January 2021, and we will have Tista, who's going to be talking with Megan Kumar, He's an assistant professor of health economics at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Megan's currently working within the NEST 360 partnership. Until then, keep an eye out for some festive treats on Twitter and Instagram. We have so many exciting ideas lined up and we can't wait for you to join us in 2021. Until next time, have a Merry Christmas and a very happy new year.